Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. have our Bible reading now and we're going to be catching up with uh, what did happen on that day and some of those last moments as Jesus hung on the cross and how he interacted with other people. Felicity is going to come up and help us out with the Bible reading and yeah so if you've got your Bible there please open to Luke. How you going Felicity? You okay with this? Do you want to tell us where it's from? Luke chapter 23 verses 32 to 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself if he is... God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hey, how good is it to join together on a Friday? My name is Ben. If we haven't met, we're going to look at this passage and think about what this day means for us. So let's pray first and then we'll hook into it again. Heavenly Father, thank you again that we can be here. Lord, what a privilege that it is to gather together um, in this room today and um, to put aside all of our distractions, all the things going on in our hearts, all the things going on in our lives and be present here this morning. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us and that you would change us. And we pray, Lord, that we would have a new and fresh appreciation for what you went through, Jesus, on the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we might be closer to a cure to death than ever before. That's if we can trust Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon and his new company, Atlas. If you missed the news, it was in uh, January this year, an article came out saying that he is researching the cure to death. What he's doing is he's uh, getting together all the doctors and scientists that he can hire, uh, the leading doctors and scientists, we're told, to finally cure death. What they're going to do is reprogram living cells so that our cells no longer die. Now, he's putting $3 billion towards this company. That is a lot of money. So much so that you could argue that this is our best chance to finally cure death over the last little while. Right? This is our best chance of actually overcoming what we know is the great enemy. So we'll obviously keep you posted on that and keep you up to date with how they're going 
to that. Now, I don't know if they're going to do this. Good luck to them, I suppose. Uh, I am a little bit skeptical that we will be able to cure death in this way. We, of course, me being a part of it, I'm a little bit skeptical that they're going to be able to do this. Right, because this is not the first time this has happened in history. In fact, I remember when I was a kid hearing about people would freeze themselves and put money towards hopefully one day research, you know, finally figuring out how they could be unfrozen and live. People have tried for a long time to cure death. Now, we'll see whether it happens or not, but this is what they're doing. Now, it makes sense that they're doing this, doesn't it? It makes sense that rich people are trying to find out how to cure death because everyone knows that death is the great enemy. The great enemy that stops everything in life. And most of us know that death is something that you want to avoid at all costs. Right? We as a society, we don't like looking at death or thinking about death or seeing death. We try and avoid death at all costs. Which does make it a little bit weird that we gather together today, every year on Good Friday, to think about death. That's a little bit strange. It's a little bit strange that we celebrate death and remember death, and not just any death, but the death of Jesus, the one who healed the sick and brought sight to the blind and even raised dead people back to life. We're celebrating that he died. And so today, what we want to do is just think about that for a moment. Why are we gathering to celebrate death? Why are we meeting together this morning to celebrate death, to remember death, and more than that, to remember in a world where we avoid death at all costs that Jesus didn't avoid death? that he died. Why are we doing this? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to see this as we open up this passage in Luke, the passage that was read out before. And we're going to go to these final moments of Jesus' life. We're in Luke chapter 23. If you have your Bibles there, or it will be on the screen as well. And the first thing Luke wants us to, to see as we go through this is how Jesus died. So we pick it up in verse 32 of chapter 23, where Luke writes this, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So why are we celebrating death? Why are we remembering death? Well, here Luke begins by showing us how Jesus died. That's what we're seeing here. Now, you can't help, I think, but enjoy that as Jesus was dying, his very heart was to forgive people. Right? It's so beautiful to see that, that he's hanging on this cross, still saying, Father, forgive them. But the point of this moment here is to really go deep into how Jesus died. You get the language there, don't you, of Luke. He's saying he was executed by crucifixion at the place of the skull. Now, I know we all have some idea of what a crucifixion is. We all know that crosses are around, but it is worth spending a moment on this, thinking about this, particularly how ancient Rome went about this. You see, in the ancient world, the Roman rule had become experts in killing people on a cross. They had perfected the art of crucifixion. And the two things they wanted to do was to make it as painful as possible and as shameful as possible. You see, crucifixions were basically torturing someone to death. That's what it was. It was torturing someone until they gave up on life. They would crucify them, put the nails in their nerves. They would hang them on a cross after their bodies were beaten and bloodied and bruised and their bone muscles, their back muscles were coming off of the bone. They'd hang them on a splintery cross. Every breath was difficult. 
Their bodies would cramp as they hang on the cross and they couldn't do anything about the cramp. It was the most painful experience you could ever imagine. In fact, there was a, a research done in 1986 by an American medical journey that did extensive research into the physical toll of a death on a cross. And basically their conclusion was, in all senses, in terms of the physical pain on the cross, it was the most excruciating experience. The Romans would torture you until you gave up. And it wasn't just the torture of the cross, it was also the shame of the cross. We already read that there with Jesus. They cast lots for his clothes. He's basically hanging on the cross, either actually naked or basically naked, and everyone is watching. He's hung up high outside the city gate so that people notice him. This is what happens with the cross. They would shame them. People are watching. People are shaming him for what is happening. The Romans wanted to give you the most painful experience and the most shameful experience. Now, they did this to send a message. The ancient Romans would, would send a message by their crucifixion. So this is why the, the crucifixions happened outside of the city gates. So that when you would walk into the city gates, you would see people dying on a cross or dead on a cross and why they were dead on a cross. You'd see what the crime they did and that would serve as a warning for you. This is what the Romans did. This is what crucifixions were all about. Now this morning, it's worth us spending some time thinking about this. You know, because we all know that crucifixions are on a cross. We all know that Jesus died on a cross, right? This is what Good Friday is all about. You know, Ross even mentioned later we're going to have hot cross buns. Crosses are everywhere in our society. You know, you might have one around your neck. You might know someone who, you know, is a little bit edgy and has it tattooed somewhere. You even walked past a cross on your way into church this morning, whether you're aware of it or not. Crosses are everywhere in our society. But when we see crosses, you know, we don't sense the, the brutality of it. You know, when we see a cross, it doesn't disgust us. It doesn't mess with us a little bit, right? We just see crosses. It's become the symbol of our faith. And for good reason, right? We want to celebrate the cross and remember the cross. But in the ancient world, crucifixions would move you deeply because of the brutality of what happened and the shame of what happened. And as we gather here this morning, what Luke is showing us is that it wasn't just anyone. Jesus was executed by crucifixion. It was Jesus' arms who had the nails in them. You know, you can nearly sense it. You can nearly hear the, the hammer on the nails. You can hear the cry of agony from Jesus. You see the blood and you just you sense it. You feel it deep in your gut. It was Jesus who had his body beaten up. His muscles on his back ripped off. It was him hanging on the cross. It was Jesus who was struggling in every breath that he had and every breath that he took. It was his body that was cramping on that cross. He was executed. This isn't just anyone. This is Jesus. He was crucified on the cross. And it wasn't just the pain for him. They were torturing him to the point of death. But it wasn't just the pain. It was the shame as well. You see, they've already cast lots for his clothes. But the shame rolls on. And we see this as we get to verse 35 because people are watching. You know, it's so striking. There's just people there. You know, at our lowest points, we want to hide from people. We don't want anyone to see us in our shame. But there are just crowds there watching this. It's not just the people who are watching. We see the rulers sneered at him. 
In verse 35, they said, He saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. You've got the religious leaders mocking Jesus. And you get the heart of what they're saying there. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Now, let's just think about that because it is so wild to consider this. The religious leaders are admitting he saved others. Isn't that so striking? Like, they're saying he did this stuff. You know, he performed miracles. Over the last three years, they've watched some of the things Jesus has done. They've watched him raise paralyzed men up. People who couldn't walk, he did that. He brought them back up and allowed them to walk. He restored the sight to the, the blind. He healed thousands as crowds gathered and he healed all who needed it. He even brought Jairus' daughter back to life. The religious leaders saw this happen and they're admitting it. The enemies of Jesus are admitting it. He saved others. But you see, seeing Jesus' power and trusting Jesus are two different things because this hasn't resulted in their surrender to Jesus. They're mocking him. He saved others, but he couldn't save himself. It's not just the religious leaders, though. It's the Roman guard as well. In verse 36, the soldiers also come up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. It's not just the Jewish leaders, it's not just the people watching, it's now the Romans, the guard there, they're getting in on it well as well. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Then you see the title is above it in verse 38. The title above Jesus says, this is the king of the Jews. And then when you didn't think it could get any worse, one of the criminals gets in on it as well and says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This moment for Jesus is not just the most painful thing that you could possibly imagine. This is not just torture to the point of death. This is shame. This is deeply getting at his self-worth and his identity and everyone's in on it. The crowds are just watching this. The religious leaders who should know better are saying he saved others, he can't save himself. The Roman guard are in on it. Even the criminal who's also being killed is getting in on it as well. Luke wants us to see this this morning, experience this this morning, feel it in our gut. What Jesus was going through was pain and shame. His death was no ordinary death. It was the most brutal thing. And so you kind of got to ask this question, okay, so why is he going through this? And you know, if you were one of the people just standing back watching, I think you'd be wondering that same thing. You know, if you're in that crowd looking at all of this unfold, seeing the blood, hearing the cries, you would be feeling this, especially if you hear the mocking, right? Like if you're in that crowd and you hear the religious leader saying he saved others, why can't he save himself? I think you'd be wondering, hang on, why doesn't he save himself? You know, if he could restore the sight to the blind, why doesn't he restore his body? If he could bring Jairus' daughter back from death, why doesn't he do that himself? Why doesn't he just get down off this cross if it's so torturous and shameful, if it's so brutal? Why doesn't he just stop this? And that's our question too, right? Like, why doesn't he stop it? Why did he die? We all know you want to avoid death at all costs, so why doesn't he do that? Well, this is what Luke shows us. You see, in verse 40, the tone begins to shift from the pain and the shame of this moment to why Jesus did this. And we see it in such an unexpected way, which is so good. In verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him. So he's rebuking the first criminal. He says, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Why did Jesus go through what he went through at that torturous cross? It was to bring eternal life. It was to save people. And this is what we see with this criminal here. Now, it's so unexpected because he's a criminal and he knows he's a criminal. And you see how this interaction goes down. The criminal, the first criminal mocks Jesus, save yourself and us. The second criminal says, bro, we are getting what we deserve. Right? You notice that. He knows he's the bad guy. He knows he's being justly punished for what his actions have done. And there's a sense there that like for criminals, they know that what they do is going to lead to what they get. And he knows this. You know, we don't know exactly in this moment what he's done, but he knows that he's lived a life that has led to this point where he's being killed for what he's done. But then he says, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. Now, the injustice of this is so striking, especially when you consider the torture of the cross. Jesus is going through all of this, yet he's done nothing wrong. So he didn't rob or steal. He didn't murder. He didn't do anything. He didn't even lie or gossip. And not only did he not do small things, he always did the best thing. He always did the good things. He always brought life and joy and peace wherever he went. And yet there's injustice here as Jesus hangs on that torturous cross. And who sees it? It's the criminal who sees it. Not the religious leaders, not the Roman guards. The the criminal sees the injustice of this. And then, in seeing the injustice of it, he looks to Jesus and he says something outrageous. He says, remember me when you bring your kingdom in. Now, why is that outrageous? Well, you've got to remember who it's coming from. It's coming from the bad guy, not the good guy. Right? It's coming from a criminal who knows he's getting what he deserves. He knows he deserves to be killed on that cross. And yet he's requesting Jesus, hey, Jesus, Remember me in your kingdom. Now think about this criminal. You know, think about his past. Right? Like this is not a guy with a clean past. This is a guy with the bad past, not the good past. This is the bad guy, not the good guy. This is the guy you avoid, right? In the streets. You don't, you don't go near, you walk the other side of the streets to this guy. He's the bad guy. He's the guy you avoid eye contact with. Not only is he the bad guy with the bad past, but think about what he can bring to the table. You know, think about you know, his knowledge. He's not one of the religious leaders that's studied at Bible college and you know, wrestled with God's word. He hasn't been spending the last three years at Jesus' feet. He's been spending the last three years being a criminal. He doesn't know that much. Not only does he not know that much, but think about what he can do for Jesus from this moment. You know, he's hanging on the cross. He can't say in three years' time, I'm going to you know, give my life to Jesus and start, you know, then I'm going to take Jesus seriously. He's got nothing that he can bring. His past is bad. He doesn't have that much knowledge. He can't do anything for Jesus. And yet here he comes empty-handed to Jesus. And he says, remember me. Now, what's Jesus going to do about that? How's he going to react in this moment? Because I think if it's any of us, we're saying, all right, mate, you've, you've had your time. You're a criminal, right? I'm not going to remember you. But what's Jesus respond with? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is saying to the bad guy, you can be saved. Now, how does this work? How can Jesus possibly say that the bad guy with the bad past and the limited knowledge who can't do anything for Jesus, how can this guy get eternal life? 
How can a guy with nothing in his hands get eternal life and be saved in heaven? The guy who's had the the bad life, how does he get to be saved? Well, the same way anyone gets to be saved. You see, it's not actually about what we can bring to the table. It's not about our past. It's not about our knowledge. It's not about what we can do for Jesus. The only people who ever experience eternal life are the people who come to Jesus empty-handed. And when we come to Jesus like the thief at the cross and we hold our hands out and plead for the mercy of Jesus. The way the criminal was saved was the same way anyone is saved. It's empty-handed by Jesus alone. And here is at the heart of why Jesus did what he did. This is why he didn't avoid death. Because at the cross, this is the moment where he was taking the place for people. He was, the the innocent one was becoming guilty so that guilty ones could be declared innocent. Jesus was taking the punishment for people and it wasn't just physical and it wasn't just the shame of this moment. There was an eternal thing going on, a spiritual thing going on here as well. He was cut off from God so that those who deserve to be cut off from God can be brought in. This is why Jesus is going through what he's going through. You see, it's not he couldn't say he could save others, but he couldn't save himself. It's not that. It's that he didn't save himself so that he could save others. This is at the heart of what's going on at the cross. Jesus could have brought himself down at any point there, but he didn't. So that guilty ones could be declared right before the living God. And it's here that we see the very heart of the cross and why we celebrate Good Friday. It's because this is the moment in history where we remember that our God did something about the barrier between us and God. He took our place. So we can have an eternity with him, a relationship with him. This is why we celebrate Good Friday. This is why he didn't avoid death. And this is why we gather week in, week out to remember the death of Jesus. Now this morning as we think about this, we do just want to wrap up and think about what this means for us. Okay, That's where we're going from here. We're going to think about what this means for us. And so often in the book of Luke, Luke gives us characters that we can relate to. And so as we think about what this means for us today, we're going to see whether we can relate to the three characters in this story because there's three different groups of people in this story that you might find yourself relating to. So the first group of people are those who reject Jesus. These were the religious leaders, these were the guards, and these were the first first criminals in that group. They looked at who Jesus was, they looked at what he did, and they rejected him. They killed him. This morning, this might be you. As you look to what Jesus has done at who he is and what he's done in his life and at the cross, maybe you too reject Jesus. Now, if this is you here this morning, firstly, we just want to say thanks for coming to church this morning. But more than that, we'd love you to reconsider that. We'd love you to come back on Sunday and see what happens at the end of the cross. Spoiler, Jesus rises from the dead. But we'd love you to come back and explore this. We'd love you to join us at Alpha as we explore this. But we do just want to say, you can be in this group of people where you look at Jesus and you reject him. The second group of people, though, in this story are the people. Verse 35, the people were watching. These are the people who, you know, you you think about it. They sort of stood at a distance when they looked at Jesus. They They didn't really reject Jesus but they also didn't align with Jesus. They just stood at a distance watching. Now, I think maybe some of us here this morning are like the people in this story. And for us in our lives, Jesus is at a distance. You know, maybe we wouldn't say that we reject Jesus, 
but maybe we also wouldn't live our lives that align with Jesus. And so Jesus is just at a distance. Now the problem with leaving Jesus at a distance is basically what we're saying is who he is and what he did doesn't, doesn't really matter. That's essentially what we're saying. We're saying the cross doesn't matter. The torture, the pain, the shame doesn't matter. What Jesus did doesn't matter and his kingdom doesn't matter. And if we keep Jesus at a distance, ultimately one day we're going to die and face him, but we're still going to be at a distance. And we're going to have to take the punishment that we deserve. And we will, like the thief, say, we are getting what our deeds deserve. Now this morning, if this is you, if you're keeping Jesus at a distance, we'd love you to invite to bring Jesus in. We'd love you to invite to take that step, to bring Jesus closer into your life. You know, Jesus implied in his life that he's got to be Lord of all or nothing at all. It's almost like a marriage. You know, saying you want a marriage, but you don't want to live with your spouse. That's like saying that you want to keep Jesus at a distance. You want eternal life, but you don't want him to rule you. This morning, I want you to see that that, Jesus doesn't invite us to that. We can't take that step. But if that is you this morning, thanks for being here because this is a step closer to Jesus. And again, we'd love you to come back on Sunday and see what happens. And we'd love you to to keep taking that step to make Jesus closer in your life and the king of your life. First group, you can reject Jesus. Second, you can watch Jesus. But the final group is what the criminal does. He trusts Jesus. He aligns with Jesus. Now, you know, it's tempting to think that what the criminal did in that moment was easy. You know, he's at the end of his life. He's on the doorstep of eternity. It's easy to just go, well, yeah, I'm going to take eternal life. But when you look at the story, there's a lot of people that don't accept Jesus or align with Jesus. You know, there was another criminal who didn't. There are crowds who didn't. There's only one person who did. His decision in this moment, he doesn't know if aligning with Jesus is going to result in more torture or more pain or more shame. He doesn't know whether that's going to happen. And yet he puts it all on Jesus. He throws his trust on Jesus. Now this morning, maybe this is you. Maybe you're in the group that wants to trust in Jesus and hold on to Jesus. If that's you here today, though, what we can learn from the criminal is that the only way we get to enjoy eternal life is when we come to Jesus with nothing in our hands. It's not about our past. It's not about what we know. It's not even about what we can do. The only way that we can be accepted by Jesus and know that we've got eternal life is where we come with nothing. And we fall at the foot of the cross and we hold on to the mercy of Jesus. This is what trusting in Jesus looks like. And when we do this, when we trust in Jesus, there is a reality it's going to transform and change our lives. But it begins by letting go of everything we thought was good and empty-handed coming to the cross and clinging to Jesus. So this morning, this is why we celebrate Good Friday, because of what Jesus did. And this is what it means. It means for us that someone took our place so that we can have an eternal reality with Jesus and a hope of eternal life. But what you now do with that is up to you. You can reject Jesus, you can keep him at a distance, or you can trust in Jesus. But only one of those options lead to life. So let's pray and ask God that he would help us make that right decision. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the, for the beauty and the reality of the cross. 
Jesus, it was no small thing that you died for us. God, the cross is not just the symbol of our faith or an accessory that we wear. It was a brutal reality. Father, we pray that today the weightiness of the cross would transform us. We pray that we wouldn't reject this truth. We wouldn't keep you at a distance, but that we would see the lengths that you went to to bring us in and that this would transform and change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.